0: And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys.
1: Well, howdy there, content marketers, and welcome to lovely episode number nine of This Old Marketing. By the way, if you do end up liking the show, please consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher, links to which you can always find in our show post on contentmarketinginstitute.com's blog. Well, we're here into our second full week of business back of the 2014, and I'm still here in Los Angeles for at least another week, and sunny, beautiful, actually kind of hot thanks to the Santa Ana winds, hot Los Angeles, and as always, I'm here with my good friend and colleague Joe
0: Polizzi, the true Mr. Golden Globe of content marketing. <laughs> Howdy, my friend. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Uh, it's, it seems everybody's come back to work this week, my friend. Oh my goodness gracious my email box has exploded. I don't I I guess everybody was saving it all up for after the holiday. It's all good though. Yeah, I mean uh yeah, you you were telling me you did sit through the Golden Globes uh last night, correct? I did. I actually
1: got to step away from the machine which I had to do of course because I don't watch it in real time. I Tivo a bit of it and then uh and then set it up so that I don't have to sit through the commercials. So we actually delayed it a little bit and then and then watched it full through. So I wasn't on social media and I wasn't looking at uh, any screens other than the television screen. And I, it's a tradition in our household. We always watch the Golden Globes. It's totally fun, and of course, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey make it so much fun. And and they were just they were just on, they were on it last night. It was great.
0: Yeah, we're gonna have to have them at Content Marketing World one of these years. Uh, oh, maybe well, when we I'm truly hit the big time. Although. Well, I have the huge crush on Tina Fey, so, I mean, you'll you, you get no argument from me on <laughs> well, that. Well, it'll be my goal in life to make that happen for you. <laughs> oh,
1: thank you. Well, there I appreciate that very much. I mean, I love the joke last night where Amy Poehler, um, you know, it was funny. We were talking about Netflix uh, last week. And Amy Poehler was making fun of Netflix when she said, you know, ha ha, Netflix, you know, you feel really good because you've got so many nominations tonight. Just wait till next year when Snapchat is up here with their <laughs>
0: nominations. That's I mean, but think about that, that we I mean, I, I doubt Snapchat has that in their long term strategy, but that's, you know, Probably that's, not. but that's where we're going. I mean, even the the article on Mashable, I'll put this in the notes, too. I didn't know we we're going to talk about it, but it uh, was talking about how YouTube is really setting this up for for Chrome, you know, Chrome. Google's Chromecast to make sure that you can play videos anywhere you want to. You know, Chromecast is thirty-five dollars now, and long long-form, uh, you know, video is in. And uh, you know, you're, I think you're going to see more and more of what Netflix. Of course, Netflix is going to do it because we talked about it last week. It's a great strategy for them, and we're, and we're just going to see more companies get into that because That's right. there's no middleman anymore.
1: Yeah, you're not going to. It's not going to be long till you see. Hulu in there uh, doing original content, Amazon, YouTube, all of these different. Yahoo, um, Yahoo, the Yahoo, yep. exactly. And you know, I mean, well, Google really, if you think about YouTube. But yeah, I mean, it's it's it will not be long till we start hearing those names
0: coming well, from the stage. Well, you know, think about. Th- I think that's next year, and I think the year a- the year after that is going to be like Red Bull, Starbucks. Oh, oh dear. I mean, well, there's a prediction. For I mean, you. seriously, don't you think that that's coming? I mean, it's not. We're not that far away from that happening. I think.
1: I don't know. You you may be right. You I I mean it's will be a very interesting thing to see if brands take it to that level, right? Where they are producing long-form content in this in, in the scope and and in the scheme of getting it into Consumers' hands that you know, because there are certain rules, of course, about what can be considered and what can't be considered as part of the award season. But, but it'll be I, you know, I would certainly wouldn't put it past. I mean, I don't know. I would certainly wouldn't put it past any, any, anything.
0: Well, like I it. think that just the, the fact that, let's say, two years ago, would we have ever imagined that Netflix would have been up for six nominations for Golden Globes?
1: No. Yeah, that's never, exactly never.
0: right. We would have never figured that. That's it. Well, the, we and you and I talked about the story. I mean, it was in uh, your own L.A. Times uh, where. Uh, You know, Mr. Kevin Spacey, our our closing keynote for Content Marketing World, said, you know, if you, there's a plug. Sorry, I had to get that in there. (laughs) (laughs) Shameless plug. Um, Says that, uh, you know, long story short, if you want to be competitive today for attention, you've got to get into the original content game. That's where we are. The, we're, we're, yeah. we're right smack in the middle of that so there you go yeah it's it's well speaking of Hollywood
1: let's get to our there news for the week and I, a fascinating news item came out this last week I just thought it was I mean it hits on so many of my hot buttons it, uh, Peter Guber uh, who if you don't know who he is he is a a world famous movie producer, um, mostly in the 80s, 70s and 80s. He was huge. He produced uh, Rain Man and Gorillas in the Mist and the original Batman series, at least the first two movies I'm, I'm, I'm sure of. He was a producer of in here in Hollywood. And of late, he hasn't done a lot of movie producing, but he wrote a book. He wrote a book in 2011, which was a Interesting book, um, which was about storytelling. Actually, and of course, something close to my heart. Which was uh, really about how use, using stories is a, is a more persuasive way of talking. Anyway, he came out. He's one of the LinkedIn influencers, like I know you are, Joe. And and he wrote a LinkedIn post where he talked about uh, this idea of, you know, he went through a very long. Blog post talking about the the future and how, you know, the, the the title of it is "From Stadium Pouring Rights to Washing Machine Pouring Rights: A Revolution Is Coming," and he talked about the idea of how the Internet of Things. It was based on a you know he's teaching a class here in L.A. and he had this guy come in and talk about how the Internet of Things is really going to change the way that we think about the Internet and when your washing machine starts talking to you through you know an interface. And how that changes the idea of content interfacing and and marketing and and sales and product development more generally. It's a really fascinating read, actually. But the end of it, which is sort of the punchline of the whole thing, is he, he came out and he talked about how he's going to start an agency. And he's calling it AOT, uh, Agency of Trillions, he's calling it. And he's partnering with a couple of guys who, uh, who, have, who have already done an agency uh, before. And he launched it uh, at CES, actually. And so he launched this agency, and they're really about how do you create content and how do you create storytelling and messaging when you're in this new paradigm of, of trillions of devices talking to each other over a global network. And I just thought it was fascinating. So, I mean, what, so your take, I mean, I sent you the yeah. article. What do, what do you I think? had to
0: read it a couple times because it maybe it was over over my head or just too much to take where you're trying to, I mean, how do you figure out a strategy when everything you wear and everything you touch is communicating with, with everything else? That, that, and that's what he's talking about, right? And, and that's... That's right. What it, what's that's exactly the, what's right. The, it's from the book Trillions, I think, by Peter Lucas. Yes. And just, I... I don't know where to take this because they're saying, and I, and I believe them. After I read this, that we're not that far off from this. We talk We're talking about Red Bull winning a Golden Globe in two years, and then he Then we hit him with this thing, where this is <laughs> mind boggling. Where basically uses the example that you know I've got chips in my jeans, and you know that it's it's talking to the washing machine that's washing it, and then that feedback is all going back to. Uh, the, the the manufacturers of that, and then the manufacturers can do something with that data.
1: That's right. At, you know, and look, that's so far out there. I don't think that you know that's that's not, three. It's that's not in our short term yeah, yeah, that's three years out, right? exactly. that's like years out. Exactly two years exactly. But what it? I mean, the the interesting, and it is overwhelming in 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 some capacity. I mean, but it's starting to happen even today. I mean, look, this week Google bought this company Nest which basically is at internet connected devices. You know, they, they've got their thermostat, which you can go buy at the Apple store right now where you can control your, you know, your entire home, uh, you know, uh, air conditioning and heating and basically the entire thermostat using your iPhone. And Google just bought that and they bought it for $3 billion. And so this is already starting to happen where these, this, you know, this con- connected devices everywhere is going to change the way that product development is done, it's going to change the way that we market, and it's going to change the way that we tell the stories about, you know, the data that we can get and the stories that we tell for our consumers. You know, I think
0: the thing that hit me the most, I, was, I don't know what article I was reading, I'll try to find it, Robert, but they we're talking about the Nest acquisition for the $3.2 billion. and the Google spokesperson said something about, you know, Google is in the consumer experiences business. And, I, you know, I, I get that. Right. But then, you know, we've always said that Google is a search company or a technology company or, you know, now they're getting their your phone company, tablet company. But but when you say that Google is in the the, the business of creating experiences, that's everything that they could be in every business on the planet. From the-
1: well, that's right. I mean, there's been. I mean, I've heard it said. I certainly didn't invent this, but the, you know that 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 Google is in the connecting business, right? So they are they are in the business of basically connecting everything to each other, and whether that's connecting you to your car, you know, through driverless cars and through connecting the cars to the cities and the cities to the toasters and you know, connecting everything. What it means is is that they actually control the connection of all of those things across a network and of course the more data that flows across their network the more valuable they become and so that's really it's not that complex you know it's not that complex of a of a business model when you think about it but it's all of the things that sort of come out of that are are, is really where it starts to just become overwhelming. well
0: what's the take what's the takeaway for you know, you're in a small size business, mid market size business. Yeah. What, what's the, what is the takeaway from that? Is it the fact that we really need to look at what business we are in related to the stories we're telling? I mean, isn't that. I think, yeah, to me, there's two major
1: takeaways. One is exactly that, right? Where, where we, we need to understand media better than media companies. And this is something we've been talking a lot about in workshops and working with the clients that we work with, which is there's a lot of talk right now about how companies need to act like media companies, and it's actually a little more than that. Companies need to become media companies. They need to actually make the changes structurally, and we made this prediction earlier in our prediction show a couple of weeks ago, but this is the idea of how we we need to prepare to manage content and the way that we go to market in this way, in in, in, a, in a flexible way that lets us tell our story across omni not just multi-channel, but omnichannel, uh-huh. right? Whether it's whether it's a television, a car, an iPhone, the de- you know the toaster, a, a, a you know the window that's out to your you know uh, looks out onto your front lawn—all of those things will become interfaces ultimately that we will be able to manage on. The second, which sort of dovetails with that, which is. As we start to build our strategies, we need to build them because we have no idea what, you know, what, what the future brings, right? We, you know, IBM has made predictions that say that the the power of the supercomputer Watson will be in handheld devices within the next five years. What, what will that enable? We just have no mm-hmm. idea. We have no conception of that. We had no conception of the iPhone before the iPhone came along. So we need to build our strategies around the ability to adapt, you know, around – so anything we can do structurally strategically when we're putting together our plans for marketing it should all be built on this idea of how quickly can we adapt to the changing market conditions in our particular business and if we operate from that i think that's i think you know we will be future proofing as much as we can um our ability to uh, you know to be successful marketers
0: boy i tell you what yeah we we just got to prepare for the fact that we have access to our consumers almost everywhere today. I mean, we do it there with smartphones, but it's even going to be—that's uh, going to get on steroids in the next few years. I, it's hard. Absolutely. It's hard to And I guess that's where the mobile-first thinking, I think, comes in to play. And yeah, speaking of of mobile, uh, you know, we couldn't do a pnr podcast without, without talking about I, native advertising native advertising saying, <laughs> i think that it, you know we're gonna be in like uh, episode 370 well we have to That's talk right. about native advertising god help us all right uh hello joe <laughs> we're talking about native
1: advertising today
0: <laughs> oh episode
1: number 764
0: let's hope we make it that far my friend uh, so here's a, here's a, a a great article in the guardian uh called native advertising is the new paywall in media economics just a couple things and we've got some other articles i want to kind of run by you here but the thing i thought that was interesting about this is they're talking about it's almost an uncomfortable feeling you get in the article about the rush to native um it's happened so fast i mean i just i did two interviews today robert and that was the the first in the first two questions for both of them like what's going on in native uh, like it it just, it happens. I know we've been talking about native for the last 12 months, but for some reason it must be because everybody locked in their budgets and, <laughs> and really started to say, "All we're going to start spending on, on native. So really the, the whole thing that's really got everybody talking is this New York times move into, you know, into native advertising. And, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but there's one thing from this guardian uh, that I wanted to get your take on. So there's two, in this article, it says there's two question marks that hang over native advertising. They'll become more significant later in the year. One is for the producers, and they're asking how what's what's the longevity of the native advertising trend. So I want to get your take on that. The second one is for the consumers, and is this whole uh, thing about transparency, or is that is it going to be a really big issue? Because they're in this article, they're making a pre- pretty big issue out of the fact that. Having all this native advertising, all this sponsored content mixed up with regular content is is going to be a problem from the consumer side. What, what's your take on both of those?
1: Well, I'll answer the second one first. I, I don't think it will be. I don't think it's going to be a big. I don't think it's going to be nearly as big a deal as uh, as as people make it out to be. I think you know this. To me, this is a lot like the privacy issue, where if you ask people they care about it deeply. But once you actually see what they do, they, they actually don't care that much, right? So you know, ask anybody who's really checked the privacy settings of their Facebook page and, and, and their Facebook account. Very few actually yep. have. But if you ask people, they really do care about it. So I think what people say about the idea of transparency is much different than what they really will care about. And as I said in the blog post that I wrote uh, about a month and a half ago on on, on Content Marketing Institute, as a marketer, I don't care that much. I don't really have a dog in that fight. So, what what I care about is when a publisher says to me, "Here's what I have available to you to be able to engage our readers with your content." Great, I will I will look at that and I will you know put it into context of my strategy and see how it fits. If it's completely seamless and it's invisible, or if it's you know, but the, my ultimate goal, by the way, is to make my content as conspicuous as possible. Right, I don't care if they read the rest of your magazine as long as they read my article and do the thing I want them to do. That's really the idea of native advertising to me as a marketer. From that perspective, I like you know, look, I, I think there are real business uses for, for native advertising. I think there are I think there are smart strategies, I think there are companies, smart companies that are starting to do this in really innovative and interesting ways. And I think it's ultimately a good thing for publishing. And I think it's ultimately a good thing for marketing. Um, And I think it's going through growing pains right now. And I think just to your point, you know, whether or not, you know, I don't know, however, that it's the, you know, it's the new paywall, right? I don't know that it's going to be a replacement in total for those publishers that are struggling with this idea of, well, do we charge people? Do we not charge people, you know, for access to content, et cetera, et cetera? I'm, I'm, I'm just not enough. I'm not smart enough in the publishing business to know whether that's the, well, well, I
0: think that here, so here's the key when everything is running to, we're all rushing as publishers to mobile because more and more people are engaging in content on a mobile device and it'll be more tomorrow and more the next day. A um, couple stats on this, and this is from a media, so a relevant article from media Post. I thought this was interesting. So five JP Morgan says that five to 10% of Facebook's impressions in 2013 came from native ads, but that accounted for 60 percent, six, zero percent of the company's revenue. Wow, I, that blew I had no idea that Facebook accounted for that much revenue in native advertising. But think about this. Let's just say that you are a you know, any size mi- business, and you're like, "Oh, I, I want to, to target uh, my audience on a mobile device, and you want to do it through some kind of an advertising play, Native advertising or not?" You're going to be hard pressed to find any type of banner or buttons opportunities. They're just not there. Everything's in stream. So if it's in stream, you yeah. have it's content. And I think that's where we're almost like. I'm interested to see if in the future, in the very near future, when you think about advertising, you think about it as advertising is native advertising. We're almost going back to the back to the past what we were doing with uh, you know Procter and Gamble and Sears 80 years ago.
1: Well, that's – and then that's a really good point, but I think also you're starting to see a bit of a stretch in what the word native advertising means and what in-stream means because I've seen some quote-unquote native advertising examples that are just like – Okay, that's an ad. You know, what I mean, that's I mean, that's just an ad. I mean, that's all there is to it. Or, or that's a homepage takeover. That's not a, you know, that's not that's not in stream or not. It just happens to be your your content is taking over the entirety
0: of the well, website. Well, that's actually so, I wanted to ask you about that specifically because you know you and I talked about the ad age article basically that that went over um, the New York Times native advertising strategy, right? And my take was, and I don't know if you agree with me, but they came out with this whole, and and we'll put it in the show notes so you can get a better idea for it, but they go with paidpost.newyorktimes.com, and they have this whole campaign that ran out with Dell, and I looked at it, and basically it looked like site takeover from an advertising standpoint on New York Times, it clicks to very clearly says paid post. It clicks to the paid post. The paid post is written by the custom content group within the New York Times, and it's basically sponsored content, custom content. And I looked at this, and I said, this isn't native advertising. This is is sponsored content advertorial that we've been seeing forever. There's nothing native about this, and I wanted to ask you if you agreed with that.
1: I think that's exactly right. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the, 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 the definitions are getting bounced around all over the place and what, you know, and I think to your earlier point, publishers are experimenting, some might say struggling, but, um, they're, they're trying to figure this out as best they can and, and, the new york times example is just a great one because that there's nothing new under the sun about that that's just basically an ad that links through to you know that's basically the new york times saying hey we'll we'll set up a microsite that's for you that's exactly right and that's you know right. i mean it's you
0: know I mean? a tough it's a tough sell i mean i i mean it's the new york times granted but in basically the way that we used to sell this stuff at penton basically what we used to do is say look I want to do your custom. You want to do custom content. Let us do it. We're the experts. We know how to tell stories. We'll do it for you. And you know what? We have all this toolbox of inventory, too. We'll promote it for you, too. And we. Yeah. That's, I mean, you've been selling that stuff forever, and they came out with this. Right. And I'm like, this is not innovative, but it's very safe. I'll tell you that. Right. Well, it's you know,
1: and it's a nice crutch right now for brands that want to try this but don't feel like they either have the bandwidth, the resources to do this on their own, right? So they can go to a publisher and say, "Hey, can you just do a turnkey? Pro- we, we this whole content thing, we kind of like it. So can you do a t- can you do a turnkey program for us that looks like content, but we just yeah. we don't know how to do this ourselves? So it's yeah. a, it's a way for. Uh, Deep pockets to actually buy their way. Well, before
0: this. we go on to to the next uh, news item, I wanted to get your take on this last point. And this is uh, your boy uh, Steve Rebel here. Uh, from, <laughs> uh, this is in the Media Post article. He says, and he says this at Oma's Native Conference. Says publishers should say no more than yes to native. From Steve Rebel, Executive VP at Edelman. Uh, and then he says, as an industry, we're going way too fast. Would you like to comment on that, Mister Rose? wow do you know me well um
1: (laughs) you're gonna get me in trouble again um you know look here's the thing i don't think there's such a thing as the industry going too fast i think the industry is going at right just exactly the right pace it needs to, to to move at and no i don't think that publishers should say no more than more than yes i do think however that ultimately and this 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 provides a challenge, and I'd mentioned this in my blog post uh, of a month and a half ago as well. I think there is a scalability challenge here, because it's one of those things where ads across networks can be automated and scaled accordingly, because it's just easy to put up a banner ad because there's a there's a standard unit They're, they look you know and and with varying degree you really can't mess up your brand as a publisher by putting the wrong ad. There's, I know there's all kinds of examples where that's not the case, where bad ads have actually provided for like bad brand experiences. But in large part, it's it's mitigated. That is not true with content. So to the extent that editors and the sales teams at publications are going to have to work very closely together to monitor the quality and quantity of content going through native advertising placement, I think there's going to be a real need for publishers to figure that out. And I think there's just going to be a human element there that can't be automated. So I think there's a scalability challenge there, but not, it's not saying no more than yes. It's, it's, it's saying yes a lot and figuring out how this works for your business. Well,
0: I think any publishers and media companies listening to this, I think if you're just looking at what everyone else is doing on the publishing side or the big publishers, they have a separate group, internally that focuses on this, and they are not part of the regular editorial staff that's creating this content for the brand. I think it's very, yeah. very important. I think if you start mucking it up a little bit and you've got your chief editor or your managing editor or even your staff freelancers that are creating content for brands, uh, I think you're going to be in a whole heap of trouble down the road. So I would shy away, at least to start, shy away. Exactly. Yeah, go. I mean, you've got plenty of really good contracted freelancers that you can work with that you could set up and we're 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 talking about it right now as you know robert with our whole sponsored content native advertising strategy because we're we we do not have ours yep. figured out yet because we're looking at all this and we're heading you know we're, we're heading tentatively into that good night trying to figure it out so <laughs> we'll...
1: maybe not the right poem for really that metaphor <laughs> maybe but it is I, I'm, yeah yeah <laughs> all right
0: uh, let's go to the next
1: yes indeed so um Look, Scott Brinker is a guy that I really like. I think he is super smart, and he runs a website called Chief Martech, and he it really talks about the idea of a marketing technologist um, and has been evangelizing that idea for some number of years. And he has come out the last couple of years with his um, – his is not the Lunascape, but for those of you who are familiar with what a Lunascape looks like, it, it is it is basically a very large – sort of landscape of what the technology products out there look like in given sectors. And he has come out um, just this week with what he calls his marketing technology landscape for 2014. And it includes 1,400 vendors. And basically the the subsequent sort of blog posts and news that have come out of it have been, you know, basically digital marketing from a technology perspective is way too complicated um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of that, that character from Saturday Night Live. It, the, the rent is too damn high. So,
0: you
1: know, digital marketing is just too damn complicated. 1,400 vendors on this particular chart. It's actually, quite frankly, unusable. I mean, you look at this thing, and it's, it's interesting to look at from just a artistic point of view, but it's actually fairly unusable as a functional piece of uh, work. Um, because there's just so many on there. And he doesn't even capture all of the no. vendors on it. And I and I think the really the, the, the main takeaway here is something that we've been talking about for some time is, is that marketing really the amount of tech technology is not the issue these days. That the really trying to figure out what process we're trying to facilitate is the main uh, challenge and there is guaranteed a technology that will help you facilitate it. There's some great, wonderful technology is definitely outpacing our ability to consume it um, as as marketers. As uh, you know, um, Scott Stratton, the, the unmarketing guy, says, you know, we suck at you know the technology we have, much less buying anything new. So I think it's a really interesting, um, a really interesting time for you know for this and it was just something that really yeah
0: we'll put out. we'll put this in the in the blog post because it's it's uh overwhel- <laughs> it's overwhelming uh, to say the least on the whole thing i guess it's funny i uh, i had an interview uh i was telling you about one of the interviews we were talking about real-time marketing and the question was yeah uh well what do you do you think that real-time marketing, content marketing specifically, is a big opportunity for brands in 2014? And, and if so, you know, what do you think is going to happen? What's your prediction? And I said, how can, how can you recommend real-time content marketing to any brand when that brand, for the most part, probably doesn't even have a regular content marketing strategy? And they're skipping, and 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 this is what I this is what I think of when I look at this strategy. So there, you're you're jumping ahead to what we can do, and we don't even know if we should do it or not. And that's when I look at these technologies, and that's that's actually what's kept our friends in the marketing automation business in business and doing so well because everybody's running. And by the way, we're all for marketing automation, but we know how most marketing automation is bought, right? You buy the technology and then you figure out, oh, my gosh, we were not ready for this at all. We didn't have a good strategy. And then you have to go back to the beginning and say, oh, we got to get a strategy. And then, okay, we need all content for this. So we might we don't have a content marketing strategy either. Oh, my gosh, this was terrible.
1: It's it's it, it could not be more true. I mean, I will tell you, you know, so if you're a company out there and you use your – marketing automation tool, whether it's Eloqua, Marketo, HubSpot, you know, name the marketing automation tool that you use, and you use it for anything other than just an ability to spam your lists, you're basically doing what most people do. The number of people who actually do things like lead scoring and lead nurturing and drip campaigns and actually actually automate that is very, very small. And so that's the real that's the real challenge here is that marketers don't really utilize and this is true with web content management as well it's true with analytics it's true with the social media tools i was just working with a very large client who had bought radian 6 and they bought it and they have no idea what to do with it they basically just put in a few keywords and they use it for you know monitoring those keywords they have no idea what to do with it and that's the key is is that they don't have a strategy that they're working from they're just trying to throw stuff against the wall and see what is this gets. what
0: happens when you put marketers in charge of technology purchases
1: it is. Actually, it, it really is. And this is, you know, this is and as a marketer, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that it's it's what happens when you actually, you know, this I mean, I, I wrote a post a, a while back saying, you know, with, from that whole Gartner thing where they said that the, by 2015, the CIO was going to spend more on marketing than the CMO. And I said, if the CMO is spending more money on than on marketing than the CIO, we should all say, uh oh. I mean because the this the alignment between the technology experts in an organization and the marketing organization just needs to start happening it needs to start happening um because it, it what's what's happening now is is that it's it's shiny object syndrome and and it and that is not doing anybody any favors
0: so i guess your recommendation on looking at this overwhelming chart is Figure out your process first and and then get aligned
1: with your internal IT guys to figure out what it is you exactly need to facilitate because that's all technology will ever, ever do. Technology, the only thing technology will ever do is facilitate a process that you have more efficiently. That's all it's ever going to do. And
0: stop. I think you and I have both seen our fair share of the fact that marketers, for the most part, when they're trying to do a blog strategy or anything that's uh, associated with technology of some kind, they're trying to work around IT, And it always gets you into trouble down the road. I mean, I think if we can be more collaborative with our IT friends, it would save everybody a lot of heartache. But then you and I worked on a specific project that will go unnamed that that's all they did was, like, how can we, like, not invite IT to meetings and get around and get this thing started before they notice that we've started a blog? Yeah
1: there's and that's exactly where it is right now is how do we route around IT or how do we route around the institutions this is happening by the way in in other you know other parts of the organization other than just marketing but but in marketing it's most pronounced you know i mean there are things by the way it's also happening where we actually go in and buy these large technology solutions because quote unquote that's the way we've always done it you know there's that f- famous old saying um, in the technology circles that say, you know, nobody got fired for hiring IBM, Um, you know, and, and, and it is true in a number of areas of technology as well, where whether it's the Microsoft stack or the Oracle stack or, you know, in these days, you know, a Salesforce stack or whatever the stack is, we just sort of default to a particular technology because that's what the company has always done. And because we're a big tech, you know, we're a big company, so we should buy big technology and... We don't actually fit the tool to the problem. We actually try to find, you know, we've basically fit the problem to the tool. And the the challenge with that is, is that sometimes we're a big company, but we have a very simple challenge. We just need to launch a blog. We don't need to roll out a million dollar CMS system to roll out a blog, and we shouldn't have to.
0: What's that? Is that from Burger King that has the double stack? Or is that that? What's the, <laughs> as you were saying this day, I started to get hungry. I'm like, man, I could go for. A Triple stack, <laughs> stack of pancakes. Go. Hey, let's uh, yeah, let's let's sk- moving let's on. Skip the next one. Let's go to the ra- yeah. rants and raves and, and rants and raves. Rants
1: and raves. Well, this is the part of the show that uh, that is one of my favorite parts of the show. Anyways, the rants and raves section where Joe and I go off on a rant or a rave about something that's particularly lovely to us or something that's really bugging us. And so uh, you want to? Well, you know what? I'll kick yeah, us off ahead. because yeah. I'm going to be doing the, this old marketing uh, example this week. Um, and so. You know, mine's fast this week. It's just, it's just fast. And I wanted to, it's a rave again. And I, I know that's rare for me to do. You have to weeks, have a rant next week. I'm just saying. I better find yeah. something to be angry about. But um, yeah, this week it is another rave. And, and you know, it, it it may even feel like a little bit of a cop out because I'm going to rave about Seth Godin. Um, and which feels a little bit like saying I'm going to rave about Superman or something. <laughs> but um, he drew, a he did a blog post um, which, you know, it, I mean, one of the annoying things about Seth is that he can do in 300 words what it takes me, like, 2,500 to even attempt. Um, and so the the how concise he can be with his thinking is just really kind of maddening. And he wrote a blog post uh, this week uh, called How to Draw an Owl. And the point of the blog post, and we'll put the link in the show notes, of course, but the point of the the, the post was really that it's not, you know, you've seen those things in the, in the comic books and, and online where it's like, oh, here's how to draw an owl. Well, you just need to draw these two ovals and that's it. And that's not what it is. It's much more complex than that. It's, and it's about learning specific skills. And what he says, what I think is just so poetic about it is he says it's learning how to draw an owl. You've got to actually learn all of the details of what an owl looks like and, until you can draw one. And he finishes the post which, uh, with what I think is just a lovely metaphor for how we are approaching marketing these days. And when he says the iterative process of drawing and erasing and drawing some more is how we learn to see the world and to me as we go into 2014 it's such a lovely metaphor for how we can go about content marketing in our strategy which is this idea of trying new things experimenting working with things that we know will fail this is my whole thing about you know where mildenhall talks about the 10% and really finding our level of experimentation about finding the resonance with our audience against things that we're doing and it's just a, it's just a wonderful because we can all use it, you know, and
0: learn how to draw an owl. It's the journey, right? And it's, yeah, I I hit, I will put the, can we put the picture in? That picture cracked me up. It says figure one, draw two circles, figure two, draw the rest of the damn owl.
1: (laughs) Exactly. That's it, right? That's what we often see that. The thing is we, what we often see in, you know, from the, especially those that have guru in their sort of Twitter handle, you know, and by the way, if you have guru in your Twitter handle, take it out. Um, you know the, this idea of I'm going to give you a template and here's the template for how to do marketing and basically it's exactly that it's draw two circles and then draw the rest of the owl right yeah. and, and it's like no, it's maddening it's, it's actually much more complex and much more interesting to go on that journey and figure out the drawing and the erasing of it
0: Man, yeah, I, I I think that we're missing the, uh, the the ultimate guide to content marketing, and uh, it's two pages. It's two.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Draw two circles,
0: and then the rest of strategy. And then, the voila, finish your content right, marketing exactly. strategy. There it is. All right, so mine uh, mine is a rave this week, uh, and I got to you, a little bit of backstory on this. So uh, we have a, a rule in the house uh, with the two boys. As, as most everybody knows, I have two boys. They're 10 and 12 years old. And if they want to go see a movie that's based on a book, they've got to read the book first. So oh, I yeah, love that. So we, you know, we do that with the Hunger Games. Uh, we've done it with uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, all that kind of stuff. Because you know, it's a little bit. Some of those are, you know, PG thirteen are very violent. So at least if they've read the book, they're prepared for it. And my son Adam is reading Divergent. And I don't know if you've heard of the, oh, the book. Diver- I do know,
1: yeah, yeah no, it's a great series. So uh,
0: Veronica Roth, and and the reason why I knew that it was even available is we were watching the uh, Catching Fire, part two of the Hunger Games, and we were at that movie, and it came up as the preview, and it looked like a you know a Hunger Games type of thing, you know, uh, science fiction, a little bit of 1984. What do they call that? Dystopian, uh, right? Yeah, and. So he's right away. Adam's like, "Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go get this book." So he reads the book. You know, he's a quick read, and then I'm a much slower reader. <laughs> so I took it after him and started reading it. I just finished the book Divergent. Fantastic book. There's two more books with it. But here's what I wanted the takeaway to be, and this is what the rave was. There's there's like uh, fifty pages at the end of this. There's a Q and A with the author. There's takes on it. They put in. Uh, almost like show notes, like we do with the show notes, about things that they wanted to, she wanted to cover a little bit more in the book, which I thought was great, but the best part is the next two chapters of the next book in the series is in this book of Divergent that I'm reading. So it's a, oh, yeah, it's wow. a sneak peek. So I'm already hooked into the next book because I read, You know, of course, you kind of leave on a high with most really good books you read. Oh, man, I, and you get depressed, right, that it's done. It's like I was really into that. It's all over, and then here it is. You pick up the next one, and now I'm anxious to get the next book. I was just thinking about it, I was thinking about it for our content marketing. It's like could we insert other pieces of content, <laughs> little teasers, here and there into some of the things that we're doing so that we can continue on the story or or lead to the fact that there is another part of the story instead of just, as we mostly do with our blog posts and articles, it's just what's done is done, and that's it. So that was my take. I just thought that was cool. I hadn't – It's a really well, the, cool it's, idea. Um, I, w- I was asking my son Adam about it, and I said, Did you see they got the other two, two articles in the back of that one leading to the next one? And he's like, Dad, all the books do that now. I didn't know Oh, really? I didn't, oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So I'm way behind the times. <laughs> and uh, I guess everyone.
1: Shows you how much we read nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, or or, or fiction. How yeah, much ex- we do read exactly, nonfiction. you
0: got to get more, uh, more fiction and learn from that for the nonfiction. So yeah. there you go.
1: Well, speaking of behind the times, um, now is the time for our this old marketing example. And this week, I'm up um, with a hat tip to J.K., our creative director um, at uh, Content Marketing Institute, who gave us the gave us the tip to really do this 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 uh, this example this this week, which is GI Joe. Um, and GI Joe is a wonderful example of how really a company mastered their channels and this is before the internet so it's, it's just a wonderful sort of story about how a company can really think about channels differently and what purpose they might have and the story is basically G.I. Joe in the early 80s was kind of a brand in the dumps. They had, you know, they had really run the course of the brand. The toy was not selling very well and they really needed to reboot the entire thing. And so the president of Hasbro at the time and the president of Marvel Comics actually found themselves very serendipitously. Well, I don't know if serendipitously is the word, but they found themselves ironically together in a men's bathroom. And so I don't know what, you know, men's bathrooms in the 1980s well, maybe we just won't even go there. So basically the idea was is that they met over this moment, as we say, and and they decided that they should do something together. And so the interesting thing was they were pitching a cartoon, and they wanted to do a cartoon of G.I. Joe to try and reboot the brand. But, they, but due to FCC regulations, um, they couldn't advertise the toy using cartoons because at that point it was not – Uh, kosher to be able to advertise a doll based on a cartoon that was being broadcast on Saturday mornings. But they came up with a really interesting idea. They rebooted the brand using a comic book. And so they created an entire comic book series around the idea of G.I. Joe, launched that in conjunction with this cartoon series that they had so they could really tee up this cartoon series. At the end of it, they could have cliffhangers, which would pay off in the comic book. They then sold the comic book through regular comic book stores, completely created a passionate audience around this idea of the G.I. Joe as not even just one guy, but it was now an entire military unit with soldiers. They were fighting terrorists, and the entire thing really paid off for them because then the comic book could then advertise and market the actual toys that would come out of that and it was a huge win for them because they actually rebooted the entire brand using television to market another piece of content which was their comic book which itself was a content marketing platform for the actual toy and then it of course blew up from there and as you probably know now they've, they've made feature films out of it you know <laughs> Of arguable quality, <laughs> but, you know, feature films nonetheless. Um, and they have really completely rebooted the G.I. Joe brand using kind of a mastery of telling different the appropriate story through the appropriate medium, which I think is
0: just a wonderful way to think about it. And all of that is pre-internet. Well, I think the idea, too, of the, the comic book itself as a, a way to tell stories. I, I mean, look at Doctor Who magazine does it. Lego magazine does it. I mean, there's a number of, of custom content uh, content marketing publications out there that leverage the the comic and, and maybe it started with GI Joe. I don't know.
1: I don't either. But it's 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 just a. I I do love it as a medium. I mean I I you know I I, I often think when I look at infographics and what is being done with those is that they've really sort of you know were born out of that idea of panel based storytelling, right? So you know you can think comics for that. You know so it's this this we're used to reading that and now that we're in a Digital online arena, of course, it's now scroll down instead of read across, but it's still panel based storytelling using you know using uh, using great illustrations and art to tell that story, and it's just
0: it's just wonderful. you know the one thing that I I just thought about this, and this could be completely wrong, but they started this in 1985, and it really right, it really right. took it says I mean I'm reading this on on Wikipedia right now where it says and they were receiving 1,200 fan letters per week by 1987. What's curious enough is nineteen eighty seven is the year that Lego, obviously a top competitor to Hasbro, launched their own magazine Brick Kicks. So I'm just you uh, know, I'm just wondering if that had anything to do with it because I mean they led, they led this thing and I'm i wondering if somebody at Lego said, Wow, this thing really worked for Hasbro maybe we should do it with Lego. So
1: Yeah. It could be could be very could be very well, be there very you well go. what it is.
0: So what's up for you next, my friend? Where where are you where are you off to? Uh, I had a couple travel dates. Uh, They were canceled. No, nothing uh, nothing horrible. Uh, But basically, I have next Monday. (laughs) We have to finish all we we had. I don't know if you know this, but we had over four hundred submissions to Content Marketing World. Wow. well, it's no surprise. Uh, it's, well, that's more than double what it was last year. So, I mean, that's good, right? I'm not complaining about it, but we have to get back to everyone, good or bad, in the <laughs> next uh, in the next week or so. Or at least if we're on the, if we're That if I don't envy you on. on. <laughs> so, we, you know, I was going through that today. I'll work all week on that. And I really want to be diligent to make sure that we get all those response. And by the way, I was floored this year with the amount of quality that was submitted. I mean, there are – it was heads and shoulders above what it was like last year because I think there was a lot of pitching going on last year. I didn't see hardly any of that this year, for the most part. A, a, a couple of agencies did some naughty things. But other than that, uh, it, was, it was pretty good. So I'll be working on that the rest of the week, and, I, and my goal is to get that done on Monday.
1: Very, How very about you, good. my friend? Well, I am here for the remainder of the week, and then I am back to uh, Stockholm. Uh, next week, spending the week in Stockholm, so most likely uh, when we record, I'll be in some in some part of transit in Europe, uh, which will be an interesting show for us to do. Um, and um, oh, for those of you, by the way, in Stockholm, we have gotten so many lovely notes, social posts, etc., from you in Europe that are listening to this podcast. And by the way, can we just thank everybody? that is has really made help made i mean we're one of the top marketing podcasts now on stitcher and on itunes and it's due to you guys listening and we so appreciate it it's, it's just so so for stockholm for those of you in stockholm who have reached out to me i am actually going to plan on next month i'm back in stockholm for another week and i'm going to plan on staying a couple of extra days so that i can see a few folks oh, there nice. so but other than that i'm i'm home and heads down working on all things content marketing well Institute. i think that it's what's
0: interesting is i think it, when you get back from stockholm i leave for denmark i think it's almost exactly that's exactly, right. That, that's that exactly right so yeah i mean you're. Yep.
1: I just did an interview with those guys, and they told me that you were coming out. Yep. should
0: be fun. I'm going to try to stop by uh, Lego headquarters, so we'll see how we'll oh, see how that's that fantastic. goes. Absolutely.
1: That's, that's fantastic. Well, that is it for this episode. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. And remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, do tag us on Twitter at ThisOldMarketing, hashtag ThisOldMarketing, or send an email to ThisOldMarketing at contentinstitute.com. This was episode number nine. Also, if you like this episode, we hope you will consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And all those links are up for our show notes. They're definitely available at contentmarketinginstitute.com on the blog. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.